Hey everyone, welcome to the Sneaker History Podcast, where we dive into the people, stories, and iconic moments that have helped make sneakers a global phenomenon. If you've ever told someone that you like their kicks, then you're in the right place. Before we lace up this episode, here's a little teaser for you. Stick around to the end of each episode for the last shot question. It's a chance to test your sneaker knowledge and engage with our community. I've also recently started a newsletter to share my knowledge from nearly two decades of experience working in the footwear industry. You can find the link to that below or go to sneakerhistory.com slash newsletter for a weekly deep dive into the biggest topics in the sneaker business. All right, now that the business is taken care of, grab your favorite pair of kicks and let's get started with the episode. Georgian trying to shake off Starks. Oh, what a move! What up, what up? Welcome back to the Sneaker History Podcast. My name is Nick Engvall. I'm with my guys, Robbie and Mike, to talk some kicks. How you guys doing? I'm good, man. I'm still no complaints here. How you doing, Robbie? I'm good. I'm kind of upset with myself because I missed all of the Kobe stuff from The Last Dance. Um, we were sitting in that middle weird time between 4.30 and 5.30, like, uh, do we go grocery shopping? Do we like stay at home? So we waited too long and messed the timing up, but I'm good. Caught the rest of it. <laughs> I mean, you you could always go back, right? Like I've, I've been seeing the the reruns yesterday when I turned on ESPN. Uh, the the like the the replay started playing because I started watching it a little bit late. Yeah. But um, yeah. It, it, I don't know. What do you guys think of this this episode? These episodes, I should say. I think I enjoyed this second one more where it kind of got into like the more of the, I don't want to say struggle, but I guess it was more the, the struggle of Mike and, you know, just how the media started really just kind of just laying into him because, you know, just like they said it in the show, like once you get so great at something, people want to watch you fall. And that was kind of their, they're trying to press so hard at them to find any little thing. And, uh, it was just interesting to see his take on the whole, you know, how we talk. Everyone talks about Mike and his gambling and all that good stuff. And um, I don't know you can see how that at that point would kind of drove him out of the league the first time. I feel like they shied away from how I, mean, I guess you know the book Jordan Rules, and there's. I know a lot of accounts of him and his gambling, but I feel like the documentary really, really downplayed it in that same breath. Mm -hmm. He's right. There's nothing illegal about going and betting money. If you're like betting on dogs, like dog fights, that's different, but like betting on horses, your golf game, football, this, that, and the third, there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's so jarring to the early nineties, people or media because you know michael jordan money was a lot of money and it's the average person comprehending like oh fifty seven thousand dollars in bets like this guy must have a problem it's like yeah maybe he likes gambling too much but fifty seven thousand to mj is like chump change you can even mm -hmm. tell by the way he was betting twenty dollars on quarters you know with the security staff and the united center law um, locker room so it's like it's it's nothing. He will bet his socks if that's if that's what the bet is. It doesn't matter what it is. is. Is that having a problem to a degree? But is it like a quote unquote gambling problem to where it's you know messing up your life? Definitely not. But I think there was more to it than what they were leading on. Definitely, he never went past past his means. You know, some people when you have a gambling problem, it's like oh, you're gambling more than you have in your bank account. Like, he never went to the sense of, like, he, I can't remember who said it on there or if I was listening to Charles Barkley on another interview. He's like, hey, he, he did it, and he never, like, he never missed work. He, he never, uh, you know, was, you know, asking for money or anything like that. I mean, that's the one thing he liked to do. I mean, I'm sure, I, I, think, I think there's way more to it um, than what we see, but, eh, I mean, I, 
I like that they even attempted to bring the human side out. Like, hey, this guy had a you know a potential struggle. So, so I I I agree with Robbie. Uh, I think they shied away from it quite a bit, and I I think that that one thing that gets dismissed over time is that you have to remember that this whole situation is happening in what 92 93 94 right so mm-hmm. if you if you think about the relationship basketball to baseball baseball was massively popular around this time and Pete Rose i i would say undeniably the greatest hitter and one of the best baseball players of all time was banned from the game because he was betting on the game. So I think there's like a huge heightened sensitivity to gambling. I would relate it to the way that even just smoking weed has become like a, a normalized thing. And I think that gambling, thanks to, you know, online betting and all of the stuff that goes on now, has become more normalized over the past, you know, 20 years, 30 years. But in perspective, if you're looking at the, the, the four major sports in America, having arguably the best baseball player, at least the best hitter of all time, getting kicked out of the game for gambling, granted he was gambling on games he was in, but in the same way that Jordan said, he he's always betting on himself, right? Like it's not about throwing a game that's not you know these guys are competitors on the highest level but to think about that the nba had to be so so scared of the possibility of what where this whole thing could have went for for michael right because with pete rose getting banned in 89 you know you're still two three years you're only two three years away i should say and it's already obvious at that time that Michael Jordan is the best thing to happen to the game of basketball in history, right? You could debate whether, you know, he's the best player of all time, the one-on-one conversations, all that. But without Michael Jordan, there's no global NBA. Like there's no, Kobe even said it in that episode, without, without MJ, there's no Kobe. And, you know, Kobe's success over in China LeBron's success over in China, all those things happened because Michael became the first fully global icon in the sports world for, you know, for basketball. Right. And so I think they kind of have to shy away from it because one, Michael doesn't want to talk about that stuff. Very, very in depth Two, if it gets too deep in the weeds and people start pulling up old conspiracy theories and, all this stuff, because because I'm I'm not 100 percent sure that I believe any of the stories anyway. Um, I still think that you know there's a good possibility that he owed the wrong people a lot of money, and you know you can take that where you want to take it with the things that followed in the in the next you know two to three years. But to me, this whole documentary has been really interesting in a sense that as much as there's a lot of the back and forth and a lot of, I would say kind of drama or dramatized, uh, (laughs) drama, um, it still seems like the whole idea behind it is to just retell the story of Michael Jordan to the best, you know, in, in like this giant PR stunt kind of way. Granted, like I'm eating it up, but, you know, I, I still I'm at least conscious that, hey, you know, Michael's just going to make a ton of money off this documentary. I, I did see that he's going to donate some of it, but um, which, you know, I commend him for that. And, you know, I, I thought the, you know, the other interesting thing about this episode was talking about the politics, because it's something we've talked about on, on the podcast many times you know, it, it was a different time. It, I, I mean, I think we all, you know, the people that I know would have wished that, that MJ would have come out and co-signed people. But at the same time, the same way Barack said, you got to respect that he was still trying to figure out his own personal brand as all of this kind of stuff was becoming more of a priority for the world. 
when he was so focused on basketball and endorsements and just like competition. So I don't know. I still, I still am, am hooked. I, I still think the show is great. It's just, uh, it, it's, you know, I think we talked about it a few episodes ago, but I'd just like for him to get in deeper in the weeds on some of this stuff. And maybe that's the 30 for 30, you know, series getting me all hopeful that they're going to really dig some stuff up, but I'm still, I'm still enjoying it regardless. <laughs> yeah, it got me, got me hooked every Sunday, so I'm always in front of the TV, whether it's after it recorded or when it's live. But I haven't missed a uh, missed a Sunday yet. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I said this last episode, but the Monday morning it really shows that everybody loves Michael Jordan. Like there's the Good Morning America follow up every morning. Um, it was Stephen A. Smith last weekend. I think it was. Uh, I don't know who was this time. Spike Lee this time. Um, Just like Scott Van Pelt doing like a two hour recap after the episode. That's a, not literally two, two hours, but it's just like, it's, it's really fun getting the two hours of documentary footage, but all the rest of it for the next couple of weeks, it's just like, man, we get it. (laughs) <laughs> like the, the the documentary says enough. We like we get the, the documentary exists because we love Michael Jordan. It's just like the parade ends never. It feels like he, and, and that's why no one will ever be better than LeBron. Even like the Kareem Abdul Jabbar fans out there, like they don't get a say because no matter what anybody does, no matter what this documentary shows, it's still six rings and six tries double three P like no matter what you do, like that's just what gets thrown out there. And I think this documentary is just going to dig those heels even further into the ground. Cause I don't feel bad for Michael. And again, I'll keep bringing up LeBron, but it's like, I don't feel bad for him having to deal with the media and feeling sick of it. Like the president tweets at LeBron James saying he's trash. Like it's, it's crazy. This, the, the level of yeah. how media has changed, not just in sports, but media overall and how we treat celebrities. It's way different. It was so new back then. Um, and it's just like, my sympathies are low, but in the same breath, it's like, no, nobody had ever been like Michael Jordan, maybe Michael Jackson at that point, had like that level of yeah. everybody going insane when they entered a building. But boo-hoo mike like you're you're rich it's like it, it's tough like giving up your privacy is nothing to be down downplayed I, I, I totally get that but it's just every time they try to make you feel bad it's like there's nothing i feel bad about, about michael jordan I, I feel bad he lost his father but that's like that's life like everybody loses family members like he's had a very 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 good life with these little media hiccups it's like police and i think the thing about what you're saying is like those two things can't exist, right? The money comes because of the popularity, the brands that are paying him, you know, there was a, there was a quote in there that from David Falk saying that, you know, Nike wanted to sell 3 million shoes over the first three years and they sold 120 something million in the first year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that kind of popularity is what, is what drives the dollars behind him as a brand and gives him, you know, the ability to have, you know, to be, to be, um, you know, multi-billionaire now in his life. So I, I, I do agree. Like the, the privacy thing, it sucks. If you're a professional athlete or a public figure in any way, people don't know how to draw those boundaries, but at the same time, that's part of the sacrifice that you kind of know you're getting yourself into by becoming this, you know, as they put it, put on a pedestal. Yeah. And I mean, just kind of circling back to both those points, listen to like how they keep, they go back to whenever he got drafted, whenever he was in, uh, in college, all that stuff. There was never any reports, you know, they, or they say didn't show him. It's like, Oh, can you live up to Magic Johnson's legacy, Larry Bird's legacies, uh, Oscar Robertson's legacy. There's, there was none of that back then. They compare, you know, Oh, he could, he did this similar to this person, this similar to this person. But 
there was nothing like LeBron and Kobe or, you know, KD have to go through now. It's like, oh, well, we're going to draft him and see if he can be the next Michael Jordan. I mean, literally, the most recent example we can look at is Zion. Oh, he's going to, he's built like LeBron. He can be better, be the next LeBron. Michael Jordan didn't have to live through that. He didn't have that. He had his own personal, you know, monkeys on his back to be the best, but he didn't have, you know, a gazillion people on Twitter, every talking head show telling him, oh, well, he he did this, oh, but just not as good as Mike. Like, he didn't have that. And I guess I would, that you guys said it best. I kind of wish he would take a step back and was like, maybe what I went through was not nearly as bad as what these guys have gone through now. So I think a lot of it is how sports are covered. And Michael Jordan changed the way sports were covered. That's why there's written about him while he was still playing because people wanted to see other sides. Now we see every side of every story as minute or as important as it might be. Like I like to think, so I wasn't watching sports center, Nick, you can confirm this, but I feel like it was a lot more, sports driven like this is what happened in the rangers game this is what happened in the laker game this is what happened at wimbledon today it's like very matter of fact and it would be more to the local news stations you know like the wgns to to be and like the local chicago tribunes and stuff having the locker room stuff and more of the intimate stories of what's going on behind those teams but now it's full access 24-7, no off-seasons, um, and a perpetual news cycle. So, yeah. You're 100% right. And I think the other thing that's crazy about now is you have 50 people that have access 24-7, right? You have all these like, you know, kind of like sideline hustler type, you know, blogger, vlogger, whatever. And, you know, looking back to, to that era, the thing that was really, and I think I'm, I mentioned this on a previous episode, but the thing that was really fascinating to me is, you know, you didn't get to watch every game until that time, right? Like, even if you were like the crazy, you know, Celtics Lakers rivalry and a fan and lived in the, in the market for either of those teams, you didn't get to watch every single game. And WGN was one of the first channels to actually televise, to have a, a separate deal to you know to televise on cable almost every game what i don't think people realize like because we see so much now imagine not being able to watch magic johnson play every single game you might have got to see him once a week if you had regular tv maybe twice a week if you if you had cable if you were really lucky you might see him twice a week but yeah. with michael you you had access to to almost every game every season from like 86 87 on right so it really did change everything about the way we consume sports because it was exciting enough to watch every single game and then like you said Robbie i think ESPN you know kind of realized hey we can incorporate some of this like more localized stuff we can get access because the teams wanted the exposure on espn right i don't know if we've seen it in this documentary yet but if you watch any of the basketball documentaries on guys from this era you know they wanted to see themselves on the highlight reel right like i think i think players still do but like it was like really special back then to to be you know one of the top tens or whatever and Mm -hmm. Now I think that happens instantly, right? You're you're you don't need to wait for Sports Center to see the top tens. It's already been reposted on Twitter a thousand times before the the next play is even over. John Morant can miss a dunk and it shows up. <laughs> yeah, but dude, if you weren't named Ahmad Rashad, you weren't getting the access like everyone gets now. Like you're saying, there's like these bloggers and stuff everywhere. It was amazing how that like he was like the one person that most of basketball players trusted to, to be around them. So Mod the gangster. <laughs> I mean, he did have Bill Cosby and uh, OJ Simpson as his groomsmen, right? So it's yeah, kind of like a big deal back then. That was kind of weird to yeah. look back at. It's like, oof. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, man, he was the voice of reason for two uh, potentially troubled 
allegedly troubled individuals. I'll be really um, <laughs> troubled. Yeah, nice yeah. <laughs> you know, what's crazy though, is as a basketball fan, you know, you know, Ahmad Rashad from, from, you know, covering Michael Jordan and having all that access, right? Mm-hmm. Michael talks to him specifically. Michael talks to him about the Jordan ones at MSG, his last game there, right? Uh-huh. That is just unprecedented access. And him as a journalist and as a, as a host is like superstar beyond everything, right? But I don't even know that most people, you know, a lot of people probably don't even know that he was like a four-time Pro Bowler, man. He was an amazing wide receiver. But it's just crazy to me that he's just known as a journalist almost or known as a, as a you know, face of sports kind of. Oh, no, you're the face of sports reporting. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but, um, yeah. As a segue here, that last Madison Square Garden game, Chicago ones are now going for like 1200 bucks. Plus. Yeah, you showed me. You said that. I was like, so we weren't expensive enough already, huh? All right, cool. Man, hashtag blessed to have gotten those at retail from the Nike Twitter days when you had a, they had the tweet links. Dude, I got those. There was an all when the All Star game was in Houston. What was it 2013? Yeah, I think it was 2013. They had like the foot action by where I lived had this massive restock of everything. And then they released the Thunder Fours. And to this day, I am mortified because I bought the Thunder Fours and left the Chicago ones there. Now nah, you didn't mess up too bad. You're right. I mean, we all have those At the purchases. Time, it was a better buy. Nah, man, Thunder Four. Other than the horrible cracking on those midsoles. Um, yeah. Very- very good shoe but i mean shoes are just subjective so it's all a matter of like how much you care and how familiar you are with them which kind of brings us to our main topic here um peter blackburn of nbc sports wrote a really cool article that i enjoyed reading air jordan rankings a guy who knows nothing about sneakers ranks all 34 from worst to first and i was cracking up we'll link a description to the article um on this episode but this one-liners for days and it really makes you think about how to the untrained eye sh- shall we say the untrained sneakerhead i can totally see how the, how we rank these shoes and how they can be unappealing from somebody who doesn't care so yeah, that's fair. Uh, right with that said <laughs> the first one here is one i think everybody would unanimously put way higher than 34 the Jordan 16, he said, cool Batman suit. Where's the rest of it? And I'm like, okay, we're, we're off to a good start. But uh, what do you guys think about that shoe being so low? Well, it shouldn't be that low. I mean, I think middle of the road would have been better for it. Um, the snarky side of me is like, well, you're stupid because the Jordan 6 was the Batman shoe. But that's me being a five-year-old child. So. <laughs> <laughs> and caring. Uh, I mean, I, I I love like shrouds and anything that covers laces, zippers, all the crazy stuff. So like this just automatically gets thrown way up the list for me. But I could see how it kind of does look like something Batman would wear. Right. From an outsider, it's a patent leather toe, uh, some crazy tooling and a big ass shroud. Like that's, that's a hard thing <laughs> to tell to the general consumer, right? Yeah. Yep. yeah. So, there's 34 of them, so we're not going to go through every single one in detail. At 33, we have the Jordan 15. I think we'd all agree that's towards the bottom. Correct? Yep. Yeah. I mean, I can't be mad at that one because even to sneaker collectors, it's like, what were you doing? Yeah, right. Oh, well, then, uh, and his quote uh, is really good on this one, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is an anvil, not a shoe. Which I always <laughs> thought if you were just to cut that awkward tongue off, it would look a lot better. Um, so, so before we move on from the shoe, so there's a show. I got to get you guys the title of it. I, it just slipped my mind. But there's a show on Netflix that uh, does spotlights on artists and creators. And they did an episode on Tinker. And he actually talked about this shoe. The guy, the reporter, hand, or the, the, the interviewer handed it to him and said, hey, this is one of the like, people you unanimously don't like. And he talked about it, and he basically was saying that was like a hard time in his life when he created this one. 
and the hard time and like everyone around him. So that was the story around. He's like, no matter what people say about it, he's like, I will always take pride in this shit because I knew what was happening behind the scenes. So it's a little tidbit of information. Yeah. So that's called, uh, it was called abstract, the art of design. Yes, Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's really good. I think, I think Tinker's on episode one. Maybe we should do that as a, uh, as a short Netflix party. Yeah. I'll watch it. That'd be kind of cool. That's a really good yeah. one. We should do that. I watched that one before too. It's, it's a good watch. Um, so, I mean, 32 Jordan 19, I put the Jordan 19 super high up there. That's just because I'm impartial to it. Um, and then 31 Jordan 14 and then 30 Jordan t- um, 2010. Any thoughts on those three? Um, 19, 14, 14. 14's way too low on the list. I mean, yeah, that's just too, too low on the list. Uh, 30, I can kind of see it because that was kind of a odd-looking thing at the time. But I feel like even just a normal person, if you're just a sports fan, the 14, you knew what the significance of it was. And this normal person, like, ooh, I know it. It's kind of cool. I just think it's too low. I've- I mean, I just don't understand how how the the nineteen or the tw- or the twenty ten gets placed above the sixteen. Like the sixteen is like <laughs> smooth looking silhouette to me. So yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. So I'll but I'll go ahead. I, I I will I will I will say uh, the uh, him asking what the hell is that design in the front? Is it a fencing mask, a Bluetooth speaker? Will it strain my pasta <laughs> on the Jordan 19? It's pretty hilarious. Right. And then on the 14, and this is so true because it's based off of a, a car, right? The Jordan 14. Sure. Ferrari. Yeah. So Ferrari, I can yeah. only assume the sneakers worn exclusively by people who have motorcycle jackets, but no motorcycle. <laughs> like I can totally. <laughs> um <laughs> I'm going to keep playing the advocate of somebody who doesn't know anything about shoes. And the 14, those hard lines with the perforation, that's that's a tough sell. The shroud on the 19, very tough. It does look like a pasta strainer. And the 2010, <laughs> I could see him putting the 2010 highest of those shoes so far because the novelty of it. If you have six shoes you all think are ugly, but one has a hole in it, a window. Oh, okay. It's a window. That's kind of cool. <laughs> it's higher than the others. Uh, that's, just, that's, just, that's just what I think um, he would think. Um, so next up at 29, we have the Jordan 21. Not very attractive. Then we have, I guess, the first really scandalous entry, Jordan 28. I guess the 14 is a scandalous one, too. But um, at 28, we have the Jordan 13 and 27, the Jordan 2009. The 2009 is before the 13. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, it's hard for me to talk about this list because I can't get into that mindset of like, not like, oh, I just don't, I, if I didn't like him, what would I see? I, I don't know. I just this love is, that he. It's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, I just love that he, like for the 2009, the quote is, I just can't get past the green thing on this one. It looks like the indicator that hovers over selected <laughs> characters in The Sims. This is a Sims shoe. Like, it kind of does. It so does. <laughs> you thought real hard about that, too. <laughs> I never thought about that, but now I can't unsee it. And every time I see that shoe, I will think of The Sims. But it's interesting <laughs> to see the 2009 and what they did with the 34, there's this. It looks similar in technology on the outsole with that window area where it's mm-hmm. open. Um, this mm-hmm. they finished it off 34, but it's interesting to look back on that and see some of the similarities. But that shoe's ugly as hell. Um, I think the whole sneaker community can agree that the 2009 was not the finest hour of Jordan brand. So I'm one of the I'm one of the few people <laughs> that actually like that shoe. What? I don't like the, I don't like the white colorway, but the black colorway I, I thought was really good. It's so. Well, I do think that this that it would look better if that heel piece was extended to the front and it was complete. <laughs> but well, yeah, Nick, go ahead, get you the black ones. I think they're still on sale at Foot Locker for some strange reason. They have like a bunch of pairs in large <laughs> sizes, just chilling in the stock room somewhere. 
That's a fact. I found some, you can find some funny stuff on East Bay and all those websites. Um, but all right. So uh, we have uh, 21, 13, and 2009. Up at number 26, we have the Jordan 23. 25, we have the Air Jordan 30. And 24, the Air Jordan 17. How is the 17, 24, but then the 16 is last? That's just, that's funny to me. But um, the, the Air Jordan 30 has a funny description. This thing is straight out of Black Mirror. <laughs> and it's like, yep, I, I can definitely see that being a futuristic Black Mirror dystopian shoe. Yep, definitely. <laughs> Well, like the twenty six or the twenty three description is an ugly Christmas sweater sneaker. If you look at the uh, patterns on it, it kind of looks like a Christmas sweater. So I give them that one. <laughs> Up next, we have there at twenty three the Air Jordan eighteen. It's getting hard with all these numbers. So twenty three Air Jordan eighteen, twenty two Air Jordan ten, which in my opinion is placed in the right place. And then 21, um, the Air Force skin, they're drawing 28. <laughs> I mean, the Air Jordan 28. So, so his, his comment on the Air Jordan 28 is, listen, I have enough trouble remembering to zip up my fly as it is. I don't need to have to remember to zip up my shoes. Fair point. Totally fair point. But clearly he doesn't – he has never played basketball because if he did, the 28 was – the first unlock zoom shoe, right? And I would mm-hmm. argue that aside from the shroud, it's probably the best Jordan shoe to hoop in. Still, it's just my opinion. But twenty-eight SE, that's what I want to hoop in. Yeah. Every no. day. Dude, yeah. The uh, see he judges a lot of these by colorways too, if you look at the comments. So I feel like if they would have given them more colors, would have been probably some different order going on. Um but I wasn't a big fan of the, oh, geez, what number? I jumped myself. Oh, crap. I lost myself. Um, the 18. Wasn't a big fan of 18 because it's a, a lot of suede, so eh, I can put that wherever. Jordan 10, I actually really love the Jordan 10. People know that. So that's way too low for me. And I'm, I'm with Nick. Like, the 28, 29 have, were, like, the best basketball shoes I've ever played in. So you just got to get him on the court. He'll change his mind. Yeah, the 28 is an all-time performer. I went to a Jordan brand event release for that shoe in Vegas, and it's probably one of the most fun times I've ever had in shoes. That was a really great event. Um, the 18, I really kicked myself in the butt about not buying one of those orange, blue, or yellow pairs from like two years ago. But he he does a good job of picking or being shown the definitive colorway of each model. So it's not like they're picking some obscure yeah. colorway. It's going like the definitive look of each shoe. So here at Jordan 20, um, pardon me, at number 20, we have the Jordan 12. I think we have a lot of um, naysayers to that selection. Um, at 19, we have the Jordan 34, further proving how good that shoe is. And then at 18, the Jordan 22, which is laughable. When you look at the shoes above it, but um, <laughs> yeah, the Air Jordan 30, uh, 34 has a description. <laughs> Jordan tries Molly once and <laughs> makes that shoe. It's the iridescent and white pair, so it is kind of out there, but that's a beautiful, beautiful shoe. I would put it, you know, top 15, even, yeah, definitely top 15 for me. So, yeah, tw- tw- Air Jordan 12 at 20 and his comment is this one is so boring that I can't even think of a clever way to roast it I will fight you where is this guy at I will fight him <laughs> like, it's ridiculous this shoe is beautiful like what boring <laughs> he's taking a rose right. to- <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing about that comment for me is that he's kind of contradicting himself because the things that were just a lot of things happening. He's like, Ooh, no, too futuristic or no, it has a shroud on it, but this one is too simple. So I'm just trying to figure out where his mindset's at at this point, because he's just a walking conundrum. <laughs> so we think it's a conundrum, but for someone <laughs> who doesn't know shoes, this is just pure gold because, you know, I can see how it could be boring. It's just, 
black and white with some lines going through it. But that's the beauty of the tw- of the twelve is just how simplistic and just the line work of it's very good. But it's all a game of perception. the The Jordan twenty two being at number eighteen, I think, is the most jarring yes. pick of the entire list. Says right up there with the two thousand nine, and one that'll come up in a couple. Um, one of this the absolute weirdest ass Jordans, and I believe it had the pods you can remove from the outsole just out there out there um so at 17 we have the jordan 2 which i think the jordan 2 is ugly also i know its importance it's cool but from a looking standpoint i think that's too high um at 16 the jordan 9 and at 15 an abomination the air jordan 3 (laughs) at number 15 and he says i feel like Nice. Really nice looking too. If it wasn't wearing bondage straps, <laughs> which I, don't, I didn't I don't even understand that comment. But it's funny. I mean, it's, it's funny, but I was like, "Well, there's there's shoelaces on here. I don't understand the rest of what he's looking at." But uh, uh, I mean, yeah. So Jordan two, I think that's kind of unanimous. Just with generic people in like sneakerheads and regular people jordan 2 gets no love like at any point i mean i, I like the lows better than the, the highs but dang this shoe was, she was just like the butt of jokes uh jordan 9 eh, that's a decent spot i don't like the jordan 9 that much so jordan 3 should be so top two, top yeah i i mean obviously as a as a sneaker as a sneakerhead, the Jordan three is way up there for a lot of people, but, um, I always think of, uh, Sean Collard with the, uh, Jordan two, cause he's such a big, big fan. Yeah. But so when I first read this whole article, this was the first point of the article that I started to think that maybe it was written by somebody that knew the shoes a little bit because the quote on the air Jordan two at number 17 is, the design of the black part at the bottom makes it seem like this sneaker is trying to trying so hard to be a dress shoe, which it is clearly mm-hmm. not. Just be yourself, man. Which makes me think, like, does that really look like a dress shoe? Is that uh, to me, it doesn't. But I also, I, you know, have been staring at Jordans for 35 years. So um, I don't know. I just started to question the uh, legitimacy of, of the claim. But. We can, we can move move forward. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, Captain. Um, up at 14, the Jordan 29. At 13, the Jordan 20. That's a, that's a crappy choice. And then at 12, one of my most slept on Jordans ever. I will go to the grave loving the shoe. The Air Jordan 2011. Rest in peace, the um, Eastern Conference All-Star colorway I had. They're white and blue. I trashed them playing outdoors, and I donated them. I loved that shoe, man. Great shoe, beautiful shoe. Look, look at the look at the line work on that. Gorgeous. <laughs> That's one I wish I would have bought. Like right before I left uh, Champs, they still had some we, randomly in the storeroom, and it had like the uh, it was the it was the white and black pair, the white and red pair, and then the, the triple black pair. And you know, it had the little drawers that had the interchangeable insoles or midsoles. Yeah, yep. missed out on that one. Still sad about that. Jordan 20, I just don't like. <laughs> Jordan 29, I love that shoe. So me being super biased, I would have had it way up there just on pure performance alone. So I, I, I thought I thought the uh, the comment on the 29 was hilarious. It says, uh, <laughs> so it says this one is neat because they scaled the logo to match your mom's iPhone font size. um and then the the 2011 actually has a great one too it's this shoe got the stone man disease from game of thrones rest in peace uh totally accurate descriptions of both those shoes but i uh i'm a big fan of of the 2011 as well i've i've got that all-star pair like it's it's a little beat up i played in a little bit but um i just love those shoes like i thought the uppers being like completely different on every one was really dope there's a really good black and electric green colorway. God, I wish I had those. Um, yeah, but, I remember that. 
a humongous box. I hate big boxes. And the 2011 had a big ass box. Um, so at number 11, we have the Jordan 5, 10, they're Jordan 31, and at number 9, the Jordan 6. So it's interesting to see the Jordan 31 so high. Um, they tried to make that look like the Jordan 1 or pay homage to the Jordan 1. And to me, you can clearly see it. But um, that bread colorway, that released one that's pictured here, that's a phenomenal shoe, man. I, I really wish I got that one. Um, the flying it to like the synthetic back, the really beautiful fade, um, the kind of hidden swoosh behind the fly net, um, behind the fly net was really cool. That was just a, a fantastic shoe. Um, and when I look at it next to the five, apples to apples, I think it's prettier. I like the five more, obviously, but I can see why the 31 is so high up. Well, I don't feel bad now when I tell you that it was like Saturday or Sunday. I got kind of rabbit hole of looking for good prices on Jordan 31s for some reason. <laughs> I, I don't know why. Right. I just got caught in like the YouTube like rabbit hole. I was like, ooh, I'm going to search. It was, yeah. But, um, what were yeah, I mean, I can kind of see that. I mean, to a person who has, again, I'm trying, trying to see through these people's eyes, but yeah, if you don't know what's going on, I mean, if you see the 31 and then the five, it's, you're definitely probably going to lean towards the 31. It's like, oh, well, there's less things going on here. But he, uh, what do you say? The congrats on being the only pair of Jordans with the flame decal that was ripped off a minivan. Like, <laughs> dang. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, whatever, whatever he says. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm not as as big of a fan of the 31 as you guys, but I mean, the five is is definitely one of my favorites. The sixes are definitely one of my favorites. Um, I did think the 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 perfect shoe for any nerd who can't decide between Spider Man and Venom for those uh, black and red 31s was a pretty good description. Mm -hmm. It does look like <laughs> the perfect balance. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> but I mean. The, the Jordan 6 being in the top 10, I think that's pretty cool because the tongue is a hard sell for maybe people who aren't familiar with the heritage or just True. like the model. That's a rubber two-hole tongue with, with, a, with, with a clipping mechanism. That's a, that's a, that's, that's a crazy-ass shoe when you think about it. Um, <laughs> so from here on, I'm going to go by twos. So the Jordan 1 coming in at number 8, which from somebody who doesn't know shoes, I don't understand how the Jordan 1 wasn't number 1. It's the most approachable shoe, I would argue, of all time. Um, and then at number 7, the craziest, you know, wrench in the gears of all of these, the Jordan 2012 at number 7. I remember that shoe selling and... Well, to more accurately, I remember that shoe not selling and people picking it up and being like the Stormtrooper shoe, which is the same comment he makes. What are these Stormtrooper interchangeable? Like, because we always showed him at Foot Locker with the super high tongue in it. And that thing was ugly. Like nobody wanted to buy it with that high, high ankle. And I don't see how that shoe could be number seven. That's just nonsense yeah it definitely was definitely not gonna have to agree with you on that one. it was one of the ones i wanted just because of the <laughs> I, I wanted this because of just the insole changing and like you can do the different color heights but other than that no that's a pretty ugly shoe <laughs> so I think at number six is another ugly shoe. Um, Brian from Wear Testers will swear by this. It's the Jordan 32. It performed really well, but the, the ribs on it, I don't like ribs on my shoe. Big reason why I'm not a huge fan of the Air Jordan, um, pardon me, the Air Max uh, 2090. It has like that ribbed heel. Never liked it. But at number five, the Jordan 4, which is again, one of those really approachable shoes. And he says, I feel like this one actually might be a transformer in disguise, but it's hot regardless. And the heel 
and the plastic clips on the laces. I can see the Transformer vibes, but um, the Jordan 4 being the fifth best shoe from somebody who doesn't know the brand, it's it's commendable. I, I, I'm not going to hate on that. Yeah, I think it says a lot to the design of that shoe, right? Like sneakerheads, basketball fans, and people who don't give a shit about sneakers all can agree that that's a good looking shoe, regardless of the plastic tabs and the heel tab and all that stuff. It's pretty dope. Yeah, I was actually surprised it made it that far up the list. So, um, yeah, just shows how uh, interchangeable a shoe can be. I always thought of the four, even though it's before the five and the six was a much more refined shoe than those two. Like Tinker tried to push the envelope on the five and the six. And I think the four was the perfect marriage in the early years of tech performance and looks. Um, so just, go, go ahead. Oh, no, I, was, I just wonder what made Michael go back to a high top because I know he wanted with the three and a four, he went three quarter top. I wonder what made him go back up to the, uh, the highs with the, the higher collar with the six and five and six and seven and eight. Trying to get higher in the playoff rankings, man. Um, so uh, at number four, we have the Jordan 33. At number three, the Jordan 11. So, I mean, I think anybody under the sun would probably put the Jordan 11 as the top three. Um, that's this, it's an iconic shoe. There's not much else to say other than it's perfect. And then the 33 being at number four is very interesting because I would think that the pool to release laceless system would be uh, pretty tough for just the casual person to enjoy. But at the same time, it's really different. It's experimental looking and it looks like a shoe from, you know, the future and 2020 sounds like the future, right? So I, I can see how that shoe could be so high up. <laughs> I think the description I for that one was pretty. would have been exchanged. Wait, the 33 and the three? Go ahead, Nick. Yeah, so I thought he had the 33 at four. I thought that would actually be exchanged with the actual Jordan three would be at four. And the 33 would be wherever he had three at. Gotcha. Yeah, like 15, 14 or 15 or something. Yeah. That makes sense, I guess. Yeah, I, I think like it changed those out. I just think like the, 30, the 33 is just a... I don't know. It's just an interesting shoe to me. And I could see how it kind of just looks intriguing, even if you're not into sneakers, because it's so different. And the colorway that they chose to that little bit of hit of gold on the tongue, you know, it, it's it's something it's there's something about it. But his description, uh, if you took the sensuality of a saxophone and turned it into a sneaker, this would be what it looked like. <laughs> it's pretty pretty accurate <laughs> this was another one of those the jordan when the when the you know reading through this list initially the air jordan 11 the description he leaves is obviously i have no idea what a classic pair of jordans looks like but i feel like this is probably a classic pair of jordans makes me again wonder how legit his lack of knowledge is um but i will say that it's one of those things that even if you're not into sneakers, you probably have seen the Jordan 11 just because of how mm -hmm. massively popular it is every holiday season. That and so Tinker was going for luxury, obviously, with the patent leather mudguard to make it look more like a dress shoe. But Jordan brand to anybody and even within the sneaker community. Jordan brand has a level of prestige to it, right? And they, they fought very hard to have that kind of pedigree to the brand. Kind of going back to why Michael Jordan isn't very political. Um, Republicans buy sneakers too. Like the Jordan 11 looks like a premium shoe. When you hear Jordan, Air Jordan, you probably imagine a premium shoe. So for somebody who doesn't you know, know what a classic Jordan looks like, I could see how that one would fit that mock-up. When you close your eyes, you're thinking basketball shoe, high top, um, but you're also thinking luxury and, uh, you know, iconic. I mean, 
iconability. No, that's not a word. But it's just like that shoe looks like it could be something special. I, th- I think I would still feel that way if I didn't know shoes. Right? That makes sense? Yeah. 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 I think a lot of people do. They're just, like I said, they're just iconic, like, sneakers. No matter, you know what you know, you can walk by, like, oh, I remember that from this year. I mean, I know the name of it, but I remember it. Mm-hmm. So these last two shoes, I really just want to rub in your face um, because on our Patreon episode from a week or so ago, we talk about oh the best God. shoes of Michael Jordan's championship years. And I put the Jordan 7 and 8 very high on my list. I think I put them as the number one and two. I'll have to go back and check the tape. But I know I put them as top three of the six. So at number two, we have the sensational, unparalleled Air Jordan 7. And then at number one, straps and all, the Air Jordan 8. And he says, I would wait in line for hours and or get beaten up for a pair of these. I don't like the 8 that much, but (laughs) it is still the show. Those are the shoes of Michael Jordan outside of, you know, the 1 and the 11. Like the 7 and 8, they weren't the first championship shoes, but that's when he had arrived. Like the the Laker victory was like the, the first world tour. And after that first world tour, everybody wanted to go see him on tour next. And the 7 and 8 were the encores. And they were just... I love those shoes. They're such, they're so comfortable. They're so distinctly 90s. And that's what he says about the seven. I may not know anything about Jordans, but I know a lot about the 90s. These were most certainly made in the 90s. That is certainly a compliment. And that's just awesome. Like the colorways of the seven and the eight were so 90s. Everything about it, it says Saved by the Bell and Fresh Prince is just awesome. <laughs> I was convinced that you actually wrote this list until he said you would get beaten up for him. I was like, nope, nope, Robbie's not going to get a fight for any eights. But I was like, hmm, Robbie has some input here about these eights. So I think I think the seven being up there is, yeah, I don't know. It's it, it's pretty good. I, the eight is definitely not the best Jordan of all time, in my opinion. But both of those shoes being up there, the, the, the 11s being up near the top are all kind of like, okay, you can see how this works. My my like end all commentary on this whole list. One, it was really well written. So shout out to Pete, shout out to Pete Blackburn of CBS for making something, writing something entertaining, even though he's not a sneaker guy. <laughs> my biggest question, though, if you're a sports writer, how did you avoid? On top of that, I looked him up, and he's from Boston. He's a sports writer from a a sports town, right? Boston is heavy, heavy, heavy into sports. How do you become a sports writer from Boston and not have any knowledge of sneakers or not have some connection to sneakers? Especially because, you know, like he's probably, I don't know how old he is, mid twenties or something. There's gotta be some connection there, but I digress. That's not what this conversation is about. I just thought it was really interesting after I looked him up. So we'll link to the to the article in the description because it's definitely worth reading. It's it's pretty funny. Yeah, it's pretty it is pretty funny. I th- <laughs> I think it's just like when I come like I collect more than just sneakers, and it's just weird because I guess maybe back in like years ago, people would have these same kind of thoughts about like I collect comic books too. And I don't ever really see like people just like oh this is weird. But I see, like, I guess because I don't, people are so used to just like wearing shoes that they think is weird. So I always get a little, little like, but why? Why is it like, why is it such a, like a, I don't, I guess I don't see what people think is weird if people collect a lot of other things and I don't really like poke fun at them. So I was like, eh, I guess, guy, if you really felt like you had to write this. So this article really inspired me to make you two talk about Jeremy Scott's with me. I really want to do like a ranking the Jeremy Scott shoes. I mean, Maybe. I'll do it. Oh, Maybe I'm so in. Maybe I'm Jeremy. so in. I, I actually like a bunch of those weird ass shoes. So let's do it. Dude, I like them too. I would never wear them, but God knows I'm very intrigued by over half of them. Like 
their conversation pieces. So 100%, yes. Maybe we'll make that a Patreon exclusive episode. So if you're still listening and you're like, man, I don't know if I should be on Patreon or not, but I love Jeremy Scott. That's a very niche uh, listener. But uh, if that's you, (laughs) (laughs) we'll we'll definitely have to do that in the next week or two. We forgot to do another review, but people are leaving reviews and we really appreciate you guys. Maybe we'll do two next time. We'll read two of them to make up for these ones we've been skipping. (laughs) Yeah, we should definitely do that. All right. uh, Anything else we on this on this article? Before we wrap it up, go buy a pair of Jordan 2011s and you'll be a happy camper. You'll be like, damn, why did I not buy these when I was a kid or when I was younger? And also go buy a pair of 20s. Um, The Jordan 20 doesn't get any love. It came in at 13 on this list. But um, I know it retroed a couple years ago. And I feel like it doesn't get the love for the shoe that still costs over retail on eBay now. What the fuck? I mean, it drives me crazy when I just like think of Jordans, like the 20, the 22, the 19, um, a lot of 14s in the past couple years and those 15s and the 18, those shoes were all at outlets. You could not give them away. But when Robbie's had a couple of glasses of wine and is on eBay and wants to maybe buy a pair of them, they're over retail. Like what the hell? <laughs> Well, stand on lookout because I think Jordan 20s are releasing again in some colorways soon this year and the next few months. So keep an eye out. If you really want a pair at retail, I think they're going to be sold out. I don't want to – man, it's just like those shoes, should, <laughs> those shoes should be free as like – okay. If you – there should be like a, a stimulus package by Jordan brand. It's like if you own over 15 different models of Air Jordans, you get these five for free. Like <laughs> – That'd be nice. Hey, I I would I would totally be down for something like that. I'd even I'm I'm happy to buy the shoes. Honestly, I just want I just want access to to the airship so I can at least have that shoe stashed away. But, but I feel like you're an unlockable character. You you have to unlock all the other characters. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can the characters first. <laughs> yep. Uh, all right. Well, uh, thank you everybody for rocking with us, listening to us. As Robbie said, uh, definitely check out our Patreon and, uh, we'll get back to reading the reviews on the next episode and definitely check out this, this story on CBS sports. Cause, uh, it was, it was really good. So we appreciate all of you listening. My name is Nick Ingvall. You can find me at Nick Ingvall on all the platforms. More importantly, just follow sneaker history on all the platforms and, uh, guys, let them know how they can find you. Yeah, Mike Guillory. You can find me at Mike Guillory on YouTube or Instagram and Twitter at MadWatcher789. And guys, go join our Sneaker History Run Club. We just got the page up today, or I guess you're hearing this. When I think you are, we had it yesterday. So go join it. Let us know how you're running and staying sane and in shape during the uh, during the quarantine times. You can find me at R-A-H-B-E-E-702. And uh, thanks for listening. Nick, where can they find you, sir? <laughs> at Nick Engvall, N-I-C-K-E-N-G-V-A-L-L. And appreciate all of you listening, and we'll catch you next time. Peace. See you. Later. What up, y'all? This is Nick again. First, I wanted to thank you for listening to the Sneaker History Podcast. It really means a lot that you would spend a part of your day rocking with us. Before you take off, I wanted to ask a few favors. If you're looking for more content from the Sneaker History crew, head over to patreon.com slash sneakerhistory. Our Patreon members get access to exclusive episodes of the podcast, our latest merch, giveaways, and much more. You can become a member for as little as 5 bucks a month, and it really goes a long way supporting the crew. Next, make sure you're signed up for our email newsletter. We share updates about the footwear business, some of our favorite finds and deals, and other sneaker-related news a couple times per week. I like to think of it as a one-stop shop for the sneaker game, or at least a work-in-progress one-stop shop for the sneaker game, if you know what I mean. Last but not least, tell someone you like their kicks today. Whether online or in person, social distancing in effect, of course, it helps make the sneaker community a better place, and you never know what conversation and opportunity might come from it. As always, we appreciate you, and we'll catch you next time. Peace.
Hey, hey, Nick here again. Before you take off, I want to thank you for listening to the Sneaker History Podcast. Be sure to hop into our Discord to answer this episode's The Last Shot question and get to know our community of sneaker enthusiasts. If you'd like more insights on the trending topics in the sneaker world, I've also recently started a newsletter to share my knowledge from nearly two decades of experience working in the footwear industry. You can find the link to that below or go to sneakerhistory.com newsletter. And last but not least, tell someone you like their kicks today. You never know how far a simple compliment can take you, and we all know how good it feels to be on the receiving end of some appreciation. Thank you for all the support, and we will catch you on the next episode. Peace.